morning. My name's Kate, if you haven't met me. Um, one of my kids was just going back there. His name's Timothy. Um, he's, if you haven't met him, you probably will by the end of the service. He's <laughs> a character. Um, and he really wanted to help me, so I'm glad he went back. Because <laughs> I was like preparing of like, am I going to have a kid with stuffed animals next to me, or am I going to do this without a kid with stuffed animals <laughs> next to me? So I'm glad it's without. Um, so anyway, if you've been around here for a while, you've probably heard the questions, um, what is God saying and what are you going to do about it? Um, so that was kind of what I was thinking about with um, looking back at the names of God. Um, again, th if you're been around here, you're used to this. We do a reflection um, after every couple of sermons. Um, it's where someone comes and reflects on the last two sermons that have been given. Um, the last two were God is a shepherd and God is the everlasting God. So um, a lot to reflect on in both of those. I know I've talked with some of you and those have both been ones that really have been sticking in our heads. Um, so I had a lot of thoughts that were kind of going every direction <laughs> about both of those. Um, so the direction I chose was the what is God saying and what are you going to do about it? Like I said, that's kind of a classic around here. You've probably all heard it. You've probably all talked about it. Um, and what came to mind for me as I was thinking about that was the story of Jonah. Um, I think everyone probably knows the story of Jonah. That is why Timothy wanted to be next to me. He wanted to help act it out or something. Um, so, you know, we all kind of know the story. Jonah's told to go to Nineveh um, and tell them to come back to God and repent of their sins. Nineveh's a city where people, nobody listens to God. Um, and he refuses to do it. He gets on a boat, go in the opposite direction, city called Tarshish, that will come up later. Um, as he's headed the exact opposite direction of where God wants him to be, he has this horrible storm. Um, the sailors are trying to figure out what causes this storm. It comes up out of nowhere. He tells them, it's me, just throw me overboard. And they throw him overboard, storm stops, he gets eaten up by a fish, and he lives in the belly of the fish for three days, at which point the fish spits him out, and then he goes to Nineveh, preaches to them, and they all turn away and listen to God. And everyone's happy, and it's happy ever after. <laughs> but that's not. There's another chapter, and I think w that all the kids' stories of this and all of the times we usually tell this, we skip the other chapters. So I'm going to read the last chapter of Jonah now. When God saw, When God saw what they did, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented, and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he had made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. 
He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from the left, and also many animals? So, not the happily ever after ending. Um, but did you catch what he said when he was angry at God? Um, this is back to verse 2, and you can see in that later part, he said, I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And if you've been here for the Names of God series so far, um, that probably sounds really familiar. That's exactly what um, God said in Exodus when he gave his covenant name. Um, so this is the passage we've read a few times in this series. Um, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes his children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Um, so Jonah was not under any wrong idea of who God was. He knew exactly who God was. He knew the words when God told people who he was. Um, but he still resented God for being exactly who God said he was. Um, and I think we also see that kind of pulled through into the New Testament, too. Um, and in James, we see, um, you believe that there is one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Um, so knowing who God is and knowing um, the names of God, knowing how God describes himself, is not enough. There's, you know, the demons can do that. Jonah did that and resented God. Um, I think there's a lot of ways we can go wrong with misunder with the names of God. Um, obviously, there's not knowing. You could just not know. Um, and I think the everlasting God was a good example of that. There were a lot of layers of that that I think a lot of us didn't even know. Um, there's not understanding. There's plenty of times like Jonah that you might know the facts or the words but not understand them right. And then there's not responding. Um, you know, it's, it's not just head knowledge. There has to be a response also. Um, so I'm going to go through a couple ways that I kind of missed it at all those <laughs> layers in these two from the last two weeks. Um, so first up, two weeks ago was the name Shepherd, um, and we read Psalm 23. I know that's a very meaningful and comforting psalm to a lot of people. Um, I know the name Shepherd is used kind of across the Bible, and is something people find a lot of comfort in and people pray at times of distress. Um, when I was listening to Tom two weeks ago, I kind of had a weird gut reaction to the name Shepherd, and I was kind of probing into that a little more. Um, and I was like, you know, I, I've, I've never really felt connected with Psalm 23. I just, I feel not good about the name Shepherd. So I was kind of reflecting on that. Um, and thinking back about, like, well, what do I think about, you know, he started with, like, what do you picture when you picture a shepherd? And I was like, well, what is my picture of the shepherd? Um, and my kind of main thing I picture with the shepherd is, like, the shepherd's crook. Um, and then as I was thinking about that, as a kid, um, I was taught that the shepherd's crook is the symbol of 
discipline, and particularly a very harsh discipline. Um, and I, again, remember some bits and pieces from stories, and I did Google it. And apparently this is a really common thing in certain circles. So th this is not true, but I'm going to read it to you because probably some of you have heard it too. Um, but basically it's a story. Um, this man's like traveling in the countryside. He meets a shepherd. Um, and here's what, and he, you know, the shepherd has like a couple sheep with right legs broken. And he says, you know, what happened here? Like, do you have a really dangerous field? How do they keep breaking their legs? And again, this is not true, but this is what the shepherd says in this story. <laughs> he says, this is a wayward sheep. It would not stay with the flock, but would lead the sheep astray. Then it would not let me near it, so I had to break the sheep's legs so that it would allow me, day by day, to feed it. In doing this, it will get to know me as its shepherd, trust me as its guide, and keep with the flock. Now, that's a very different picture <laughs> of God as a shepherd than what Tom shared. Um, Tom's big idea from Psalm 23 was the lavish presence and provision of the Lord cannot be taken, destroyed. Uh, but then it got cut off. I think it's outdone. Um, <laughs> but so as I was thinking through that reaction to shepherd and thinking, and it's not that God doesn't discipline us, but this picture of God breaking our legs to make us bond with him is a much scarier God <laughs> than the picture of God as shepherd that um, Tom painted for us. Um, that quote I was reading is actually from a book written in 1955. Um, and according to all the blogs that reference this story, that's the earliest known reference to this thing about shepherds breaking their legs. So that is in no way a thing that was true at the time of the writing of the Bible, but it is a thing a lot of us grew up with, where in places where God as an authoritarian, as a disciplinarian, is the picture they wanted to paint for you. Um, so you can imagine how that kind of extrapolates out to the other layers <laughs> of understanding. Um, another thing from the God is my shepherd sermon that I think was a probably even more common misunderstanding is Tom pointed out that the my in the Lord is my shepherd sometimes makes everyone think of just a one-to-one -one relationship. But it's not usually one shepherd and one sheep. Um, having a my shepherd usually means there's a bunch of other sheep that have a my shepherd, and it points us to being part of a flock rather than just an individualistic relationship, which again, there's a little bit of truth that we do have a personal relationship with God, but we're also part of a flock. Um, so again, that is one of those things that it just, it, it's a tiny little misunderstanding, and then it kind of spreads out more and more. And then last week was the everlasting God, um, which I Leanne handed out a two-sided page of notes. So there was a lot of information, a lot of things that I think were um, not necessarily intuitive in our understanding of everlasting. Um, she talked about that everlasting wildflower and how <laughs> she grew up in everlasting meant that it would last for six years. Um, she talked about some of the layers of meaning that there were like Hebrew words that sounded alike. So while the word said everlasting, people also kind of thought of hidden, um, which was kind of cool. Um, and I think also everlasting is a hard one because, you know, shepherd, we can kind of wrap our minds around what a shepherd is, but we don't wrap our minds around everlasting. Um, so, it, you know, that's kind of the difference of we don't have to fully understand it. We also can't limit it and put it into our limited understandings either. Um, so anyway, between the two of those, what I got to is basically knowing the names of God is not enough. We need to understand and respond. Um, and also both of the shepherd and everlasting God 
sermons ended with talking about how we respond. So that was also nice. Um, the one that they talked about in both of those is talking about worship. Um, and both of them specifically said it's not just in the sense of singing, although that's definitely a great way to use the names of God. Um, it's great to have them in songs. It's great to have them in our prayers as ways to refocus ourselves towards those things. Um, but specifically worship as like the posture of our hearts and how we respond to God. Um, so if you take the example of the shepherd, you can think about my understanding of the shepherd is not something that leads you to worship. That under, it's fear, um, maybe obedience in an optimistic sense. Um, but you can picture that, the, you know, the, the one that Tom explained to us, you know, the one that invites us to our tables and has our back before our enemies, the one that gives us comfort. Um, worship is a much more automatic response to that. Um, and that made me think about how Jesus says we're to worship in spirit and truth. Um, and I think that there's both an understanding of the truth of who God is and a responding in spirit to him. Um, and I think we need both parts. And sometimes we have one without the other, and it can go either way with one without the other. So going back to Jonah, um, I think we can all agree that he probably could use those exact same words to worship God. It's not the words he used, it's the spirit behind it. Um, he was bitter and resented God for not doing what he thought God should do. <laughs> um, so he had, he had the truth. He had the words of who God was. Um, but he, his heart was oriented in the wrong direction towards what he thought he wanted God to do um, and towards what he thought was fair rather than who God really was. Um, so then we had a couple more ways we talked about responding to God's names. Um, Leanne also talked about the more we know God, the more we should be able to trust him. So, um, you know, a deeper understanding of God does bring us to a place that God is someone we can trust in fully. Um, again, I think Jonah really wanted to rely on what he thought was best, but I think if he'd had an understanding of God as everlasting, of God as shepherd, I think that would orient him back towards God is someone that we can trust. And then the final point, um, and this was just a brief one in last week's sermon about everlasting God, but when I was talking with the ladies in our Tuesday night group, this was the one that stuck out to all of us. Um, it's that understanding God's name should put our lives into perspective. Um, obviously, everlasting God puts our lives into perspective because God is everlasting and we're not. Um, and I think it helps as a, it, it makes the non, it makes the, our lives being finite less scary when there's a God that is everlasting. Um, it also puts the perspective about our enemies in place when we think about God as a shepherd and what it means that God invites us to, our ta to his table in the presence of the enemies. Um, so I think that's also a helpful thing is that, you know, it, it reflects back who God is, but it also reflects back to us who we are and in a way that should be comforting and like positive overall. <laughs> um, so like I said, there, there, there's the layers there. There's knowing the names of God, and that is good, and a good place to start. And then there's understanding. And I think how you react in understanding should probably tell you something about how well you understand it. Um, if that doesn't lead you to a place of worship or trust or 
putting yourself into a perspective that leads to peace, um, there's probably a good chance your understanding's wrong. Um, and again, that's a good place to talk with other people about it, and that's the nice thing about us all going through the same names of God as we can talk with each other about it. Um, so anyway, Tom is going to come up and do a spiritual practice, and then we are going to have some discussion time, um, like we always do in our reflection. So we're going to put up all the names that we've done so far in the series for the discussion time. We have a few questions to talk through kind of those layers of knowing and understanding um, for all the names we've done so far. 